different. Uh, I, I just think y'all know this, but if not, I'm going to remind y'all today. Y'all know that I'm a UK fan, right? Y'all know that. Okay, if not, I want to clear. I'm a UK fan. Now, here's the truth. When you're a UK fan and you cheer for their football team, it can be a humbling experience, all right? Because they often have this way of raising your expectations and then being a disappointment, all right? Now, I'd plan this illustration. Then they come out yesterday and play great. Isn't it crazy how it happens? But typically, as a UK football fan, it can be a very uh, humiliating or humbling experience. In fact, a few weeks ago, we saw an interesting display of what it often means to be a UK football fan. At the start of a very important possession, running back A.J. Rose was handed the ball and broke through the line, running more than 70 yards. He was just a few yards away from crossing the goal line to score a touchdown when he threw up the deuces sign, all right, and started to slow down just a hair. And so instead of crossing the goal line for a touchdown, he was tackled just short, all right? Very humiliating experience in a moment. But listen, think, he truly, again, celebrated too soon. But to add insult to injury, two plays later, he was handed the ball again, this time just feet away from the goal line. And this time, instead of crossing the goal line, he fumbled the ball away to the other team. And so not only did he not score that touchdown, it's kind of set the tone for the rest of the game, and Kentucky lost the game even though they had been favored to win. Now, as I think about that game, more than illustrating what it's like to be a Kentucky football fan, that incident in a way illustrates what can often happen in life. We can have experience or experience of times when we are humbled, all right? In fact, we've all had our moments, have we not, when we've experienced something where we were humbled? Anybody have a humbling experience in their life? Now, it's not always a public humbling as in the case of A.J. Rose, but it was a humbling nonetheless. And though we do not like to be humbled, let me say this, being humble is a good thing, all right? We don't like to be humbled, but... Being humble is a good thing. In fact, here's the question I'm going to pose to you today. And you you need to be able to answer this, all right? The question I want to pose to you is this. Will you humble yourself before the Lord or will you be humbled? Now, that is a question we all have to answer. And the way we answer it makes all the difference in our life because God works through humility. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, again, take your Bibles, turn to Judges 16. Many will be familiar with the events of Judges 16 to some degree because it records a portion of the life of a man named Samson. Unfortunately, what we see here in Samson's life is a negative example of how to live life. We will actually see that Samson is a man who in many ways wasted the life that God had given him. He wasted his life because instead of living a life of humility, Samson lived a life of pride. And as we look at his life, we are warned about the dangers of pride. We see first that pride pursues my pleasure over God's purpose. All right, look at just the opening verse in Judges 16. It says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to her. Now, that one sentence alone gives us some idea of how Samson lived his life. He lived his life pursuing his own selfish pleasures, One reason that this is such a sad commentary on Samson's life is because God had a great purpose for his life. And let me briefly explain. God, no doubt, is a God of grace. Y'all know that, right? God God is a God of grace. If you go back to Judges 13, the chapter begins with these words. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. In other words, that's that's just a, a microcosm of the book of Judges. All right, the book of Judges records a period in Israel's history 
where they continually turn their backs on God. Remember, this is a people with whom God had worked and worked miraculously in their, in their lives. He had miraculously delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He miraculously gave them the promised land. Yet even though he had blessed them as a people, they continued to rebel. And when they would rebel, here's what would happen. What we, what we see really in verse 1, they would suffer because of their rebellion. Now, once they suffered long enough, here's what they would do. They would repent. They would say, oh, God, we're sorry for what we have done. And when they would say they're sorry, God would send them a deliverer. And this deliverer would come and, and deliver them out of whoever their enemies had overtaken them. And they would begin to serve God for a while. However, after a while, guess what they did? They rebelled again. All right, they suffered again because of that rebellion. They cried out to God eventually and repented. God brought them a deliverer. They would serve God for a while, and then they would just repeat the cycle over and over and over. And so that's the story of Judges. And so here in verse 1, what we see is this is a time when the people of Israel were in one of those times of rebellion. They were suffering at this point at the hands of the Philistine because they had turned their back on God. But a few verses later, we read where an angel of the Lord came to the wife of a man named Manoah, and he said this, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. All right? So God's working here, you see? The son of this man is none other than Samson. And we can see in this verse that God had a special plan for his life. He was to be dedicated to the Lord, and he would begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Again, this is a reminder that God is a God of grace, as he didn't give up on the rebellious Israelites. And he was a God who designs life for purpose, as he, even before Samson's birth, God declared he had a plan for his life. Now, we should all be encouraged by those truths. We should be encouraged, first of all, this, that God is a God of limitless grace. Shouldn't we be encouraged by that? Th think about it. H how many of y'all needed God's grace just this past week? You don't have to raise your hand or shake it, but I bet everyone would say, yeah, that's me. There is something that I did this week that I need God's forgiveness of. Maybe it's an immoral fault, or maybe it's an attitude of unforgiveness. Maybe it's a failure to complete a task that God had asked you to do, or a misspoken word. Maybe it was a celebrating of the misfortunes of an enemy. Something. We all this week stood in need of God's grace, and thankfully, he's a God who pours that grace out continually. I'm glad he's that kind of God. Then it's also good to know, though, that God has a plan for lives. Hear me. No life is a life without purpose. Just as God knew Samson before he was born and had a plan for his life, he knew you before you were born, and God has a plan for you. In fact, this knowledge is even one of the reasons why we should believe in the sanctity of all human life, because God knows lives when they're in the womb, and he has a plan for every life. We should celebrate every life, and we should know, all right, that God has a plan for your life. Now, as we look further at Samson, though, it's clear that he lived for his pleasure and not God's purpose. We saw that, that fact in our opening verse today as Samson went into a prostitute. I hope we can agree that this would not be an acceptable in accordance to God's plan for a person's life, but simply the actions of one who is seeking self-pleasure. This act wasn't, in fact, the only example of Samson's pleasure-seeking. If you go back and read the previous chapters and read about Samson's life, 
you'll see that he constantly did what gave him pleasure. In fact, it says he picked a wife, and you can read the scripture. He picked a wife because she was right in his eyes, all right, just because she looked good to him and, and just seemed right to him. He says, oh, this is, she's going to make me happy. And so she, he pursued a wife for the very reason of his own self-pleasure. We can look back and see that when he fought against the Philistines, he didn't fight against the Philistines because of God. He went against them for revenge, for his own selfish reasons. On and on we can read in his life, even when it comes to his vow as a Nazarite. Time and time again, Samson broke that vow because in the moment, he simply was doing what felt good to him. He wasn't worried about the vow that had been made to God. He wasn't worried about what God had called him to do. It was always about Samson living for the moment, living in in the, the pleasure of the time. Now, Samson's pleasure-seeking culminates in the event that most of us know about his life, his relationship with Delilah, a relationship that demonstrates that not only does pride pursue pleasure over God's purpose, but it also demonstrates that pride elevates my place over God's power. In other words, it is the feeling that your strength and who you are and what you can accomplish is where your power lies rather than with God's strength. In fact, let's read about the beginning of Samson's relationship with Delilah in verse 4. It says, After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him with a, to, to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And so Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Now, here is something we clearly see in this text, that Samson is famous for his superhuman strength. If there's anything that his enemies wanted to know, it was how he was so strong and what they could do to subdue him. If we go back and read all of Samson's life and read it carefully, here's what you know, that Samson's great strength came from the Lord. I mean, Samson hadn't went out every day to the gym twice a day and pumped iron and then somehow got strong. It wasn't as if Samson had those times where he would gather his friends occasionally and say, oh, let's go max out today and let's see how strong he is. I mean, he doesn't do things like I do, you know, what I'm talking about, right? That's not the way, I don't know why y'all laugh about that. Anyway, no. Samson was simply given extraordinary strength from God so that he might carry out God's plan. This is what we all long for, right? We all long for strength that we didn't have to work for, right? Well, Samson got it from the hand of God, all right? Though God had given him that strength, here's what, we, what, what his enemies knew. Because God had given him the strength, all right, they were powerless to defeat him. And so they wanted to know, how do I, I destroy him? See, if you want to know how strong he was, all you have to do, in fact, is go back one chapter and you'll see where he took the jawbone of a donkey and struck down 1,000 men. And so Samson's strength was no doubt God-given extraordinary strength. Now, here's Samson's problem, all right? He just didn't recognize the source of his strength, at least not fully. If he did, he at least failed to rely on God and seek God in the use of his strength, because as I noted, he simply pursued his own pleasure over God's purpose. Now, as Samson elevated himself over God's power, it put him in a very compromising position with Delilah. As she sought the source of his strength on behalf of Samson's enemy, and so Samson played a little game. He continued to tell her a lie. And she would ask him, well, Samson, you know, how is it that you get such strength so that, that someone could sub subdue you? 
And so he would make up something and tell her, and so she would do exactly what he said, thinking it would render uh, Samson powerless. She would have then men lying in ambush waiting to take him over. So then she would yell, Samson, our enemies are upon us. And so what he would do is simply jump up and he would break free and he would get away. Now, I I think for me, I don't know about you, I I think for me, one time of this would be enough for me not to trust Delilah. Uh, that, that would be enough. But one time for my, my, my woman to say, hey, how can you be subdued and then try to subdue me? And here comes my enemies. They think, I, I, I don't need that anymore, all right? Who wants a girlfriend or whatever she was? Who wants to subdue him for your enemies, all right? However, read my mind, Samson wasn't thinking about what was right. All right, Samson was living for his self and his fleshly desires. And so he continued to go back to Delilah and go through the same little routine. Now, this happened three times. Now, surely after three times, Samson had learned his lesson, right? And knew that Delilah couldn't be trusted. However, here's what we read. After Delilah gave him her sob story. Oh, Samson, you've so embarrassed me. You've just made a fool of me, Samson. All right, so she's giving him a sob story about being mocked. This is what we read in verse 16. And when she pressed him, With her words, day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And so he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come up on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's birth. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak, and it will be like any other man. Now, let's not overlook the fact that Samson had elevated himself over God, and that this was day after day that Delilah pressed him hard for the truth. In other words, you hear what I'm saying, right? Samson at this point was every day living for himself. Every day he was putting God in the background. And every day he was living for his flesh. So that Delilah was in a place to pressure him every day for the, the answer. Now, at, some, at this point though, we also need to notice that Samson was aware of his special calling from God. He knew that he'd been a Nazarite from birth. Not cutting his hair was a part of the vow he had with God. And so we cannot look even at Samson and say, well, he just didn't know what God wanted him to do. And though he stated that he would lose his strength if his hair was cut, we have to wonder if he really believed it because surely if he did, he wouldn't have let the real secret out because that is what he did. Delilah set up the plot lulled him to sleep on her knees, had someone come and shave his head, and then called in the Philistines to come and capture him. And something that we must see, though, is Samson's response when Delilah, for one last time, shouted, the Philistines are upon you, all right? Look at Samson's, what he said in verse 20. And it said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and he said, all right, look, look, at, look at Samson's words closely. I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. Did you notice anything about Samson's response? You notice anything? I and myself. Who was Samson trusting for his deliverance? Himself, right? I will go out and shake myself free. He clearly was elevating his place over God's power. He truly believed in his own ability to deliver himself, not considering it was really God's power that had been working in him all along. Now, before I mention where this took Samson and where it takes us, let's just acknowledge that we often do the same thing that Samson did. We elevate our place. We let our opinions, our wisdom, our intelligence, our experience, our strength determine what we do when it should be about what God wants to do and it should be about God's power to do it. 
Think about this. Sometimes we even limit what we think we can accomplish because we look at ourselves and say, I cannot do it. Even when God says, but I can through you. Either of those positions is wrong. When we operate by our own strength, we are setting ourselves up for failure. And when we limit what we can do based upon our assessment of our abilities, then we are elevating our place over God's power. And they are both just different forms of pride because it centers around self. God wants us, folks, hear me. God wants us operating on his power. Now, as we look at what really is at stake, think about what happened when Samson let pride Elevate his place over God's power. What happened is the next truth we need to see, which is this, that pride separates me from God. I didn't finish the end of verse 20 a few moments ago, and so let me go back and read all of that verse now. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Man, what a sad last line that is. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson was so consumed with his own pride, which caused him to focus on himself so much that he didn't even realize that God was no longer with him. And what we want to do is read about Samson and wonder, well, how his hair could have such an ability to give him strength. But folks, let's realize it was never the hair that gave him his power. Y'all know that, right? It was never the hair that gave him his power. The hair was just a symbol of his commitment to God as a Nazarite. It was a symbol that he had been set apart by God for a special task. However, Samson had been wearing the symbol, okay? He'd been wearing the hair without the commitment. Samson had the appearance of a Nazarite, but had been living his life not for God, but for himself. And in a way, hear me, the shaving of his head just simply showed the truth of his heart. Now, as I think about Samson, I wonder sometimes if many lives today match Samson more than we like to admit, that we wear the symbols of a commitment to God, but then simply live for ourselves. Whether that symbol be one of baptism or church attendance or carrying a Bible or having a Bible app on my phone, maybe a bumper sticker that supports religious causes or wearing a shirt with scripture verses, we often want to give an appearance that we have a commitment to God, but then we often live lives more like Samson than we like to admit. We all battle with pride to some degree. I mean, I'm at least going to speak for myself. I know I battle with it. I I don't know if you battle with my heart, but I know I battle with it all the time. And here's what it calls us to do, to constantly check and make sure that our hearts are truly with God and not consumed with self. What we must do that, or we too can get where Samson did, not knowing that the Lord had left us, all right? We can have the Lord leave us and not even know it if we don't constantly check our heart. For Samson, having let pride so dominate his life that the Lord left him, it made his strength also leave him. He was taken captive by the Philistines. They gouged out his eyes, which, by the way, is fitting for Samson's life. Since Samson had lived nothing but by his eyes, what looked good in his eyes, that's what drove him. It was appropriate that his eyes were gouged out. It was fitting for his life. And then they bound him and made him grind at the mill in prison. Samson, a man who'd been or had such promise in life, finds himself about as low as you can go. And it's a reminder to us all that we kind of cannot expect God to bless our lives when we choose to live self-consumed, prideful lives. Now, with that said, though, here's something that we need to see. Are you ready? God's plans are unbroken. I mean, we might look at Samson and say, well, God's plans failed. 
Samson was supposed to begin to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines, but Samson is a slave to the Philistines. I mean, God's plans for Samson has failed. That, that's what we're going to think, right? However, if you think that God is deterred by Samson's failure, then you are wrong. Let's consider the rest of Samson's life. At the end of Judges 16, the Philistine leaders gathered together for a great party and to worship their false god of Dagon. And they decide in their merriment that Samson is going to be their entertainment. They really wanted to put Samson on display to goat in their supposed victory over the Israelites' strong man, all right? You think in this moment they were a little prideful? Yeah, like, oh, they're like, look at us. We beat God's strong man, and there he is. Look, so we're bringing him on for the entertainment because we have bound him. We have had victory. And so they brought Samson in, and they placed him between two pillars in the building so they could humiliate Samson and revel in their own pride. And here's what we read next. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh, God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he'd killed during his life. Now here we see for one of the few times in life Samson called out to the Lord. That's a good thing, right? However, before we praise him too much, let's consider something, that his request was still self-centered. His request was all about getting revenge for his eyes. It wasn't about avenging the Lord. It was about him. Hear me. Samson truly lived selfish and prideful to the end. Now, the Lord answered his prayer, though, and what we see is an interesting commentary that the Philistine leaders and all the people in the house were killed so that more died in Samson's death than during his entire life, which is amazing when you read this, that Samson judged in Israel for 20 years. It is sad that in this one tragic event, Samson accomplished more to begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines than he had in 20 years of leadership. And there is no doubt, folks, hear me. There's no doubt that so many of the leaders of the Philistines dying in that moment was a huge blow to the Philistines. Was God accomplishing what he intended through Samson? Yes, all right, we have to understand it. God still used Samson to accomplish his purposes, all right? God's purposes were unbroken. Unfortunately, Samson's experience was far different than what it could have been had pride not consumed his life. Think about what a different end it could have been for Samson had he lived for God. In fact, let's consider something. How would you describe Samson's life in this moment at the end? How would you have described his life? Somebody give me words. I'm not going to let y'all get by with being in silent today. How would you describe Samson's life here at the end? Give me a word. One word. Tragic. Tragic. Broken. Prideful. Prideful. All right, you gave me a few. I'll go with that, all right? All right. But I'm going to give you a word today that perfectly describes his life. And it's going to come from earlier in Judges. Because many words, all those words you use, those are appropriate words. But in the early part of Judges 16, we see the Philistines plotting with Delilah to capture Samson. Look at this encounter that the leaders of the Philistines have with Delilah in verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, 
Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. What word can be used to describe Samson in this last part of his life? It is humbled, all right? This man who had been filled with so much pride now found himself humbled. And it is no coincidence that in this humbled state is when Samson fulfilled his purpose greater than at any other point in life. Why do I say that? Because, folks, God values humility. He works through humility. Listen to these words in 1 Peter 5. He said, close yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may what? Exalt you. And here's what is clear. God opposes the proud while he gives grace to the humble. It's why I asked this opening question that I want to ask you again right now. Will you humble yourself before the Lord or will you be humbled? You see, Samson honestly serves as a warning to our lives. It is definitely an example of what can happen to a pride-filled life. God had Samson's life recorded for us that we would be warned. And I want us all to understand that God has a better plan for our life. God has a different desire for our lives. God wants all of us today to choose humility so that he might exalt us. In fact, God set the example. Remember these words in Philippians 2 in regards to Jesus? Look at this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly what? exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Think about this. Jesus set the example by choosing humility. You know, here's what I often believe. We hear the word humble ourselves and we think this. We think it means I got to think badly about myself. Is that what it means to be humble? Let me ask you this. The Bible says that Jesus humbled himself did Jesus feel bad about himself? Absolutely not. Think about some of the things Jesus said. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Does that sound like a man who feels bad about himself? Absolutely not. Jesus said, the Father has given all judgment to the Son. Does that sound like someone who feels bad about himself? No, listen, Jesus understood who he was. He understood his position. He, he knew that God had a plan. But what did he do? He set the example, even though he had equality with God. He was God in the flesh. What did he do? He chose to humble himself. In other words, he, listen, gave up what, all the desires of the flesh that he had as he was living in that flesh, and he chose to submit to the Father's will, which meant ultimately, what did he do? He went to die for you and me. He gave his life for our sin so that, listen, what might happen? We might be forgiven and we might have eternal life. God set the example for us. And let me say this, all right? He set the example, but God has called us to choose the same route in life. He's called us to do the same thing. In fact, right before those words in Philippians 2 that I just read, we read these words. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In essence, we're told right there what it means to be humble. 
and that this humility is possible through Jesus Christ. I got news for you, folks. If it's not for Jesus, I'm probably not a very humble person. But because Jesus and the example that he set and who he is in me, listen, we can all take on humility and serve God. And that's his desire for our life. And if you want to know, well, Brother Scott, what is that? Well, if you look back at Samson's life, I'll say this. Humility is just the opposite of the way Samson lived. Think about these things. All right, here they are. Humility today, if you want to be humble, humility pursues God's purpose over my pleasure. In other words, I'm looking to say, God, what what do you want? What are your purposes? I'm pursuing those, not what in this moment makes me feel. God, God, I'm pursuing you. Your purposes are greater. Number two, it, it elevates God's power over my place. It's looking and saying, God, you want me to do it? I can do it in your power and not in my strength. God, God, you want me to do that? I'm gonna trust your power to complete it, not me. God, it's saying, I'm gonna put you over me. And third, it's this. It's humility reconciles me to God. Because think about this, folks. Every one of us at some time or another has had a broken relationship with God, have we not? If we're gonna serve God, how do we serve? Doesn't it make sense that first we have to have our relationship with God restored? How does that happen? When we humble ourselves before the Lord and say, God, here's what I know. I can't save myself. I, I, I can't make up for my sins. But here's what I know. Jesus Christ has died for me. And today what I do is I humble myself and I trust, I trust God today that Jesus, I want to trust him as my Lord and Savior. And when you confess your sin before him, when you invite Jesus into your heart and you say, Lord, I want you to have complete control of my life. I want to live for you. When you take that position, here's what you do. You put yourself in a position for God to exalt you someday because you've humbled yourself before the Lord. And I know today, I'd rather be in that place, right? Because to refuse to humble yourself in this way is to put yourself like Samson in a place to be humbled. And so here's what I want to do as I close today. I want to ask you one more time this question. Will you humble yourself before the Lord? Or will you be humbled? Which will you choose today? Would you pray with me, Father, as we come to you this morning? I'm thankful that you are a God of grace and a God who pours your grace out upon us every day and that father you even set the example for us in a perfect way and that father you have made a way for us to be right with you if we're willing to humble ourselves before you confessing Jesus as our savior and so this morning as we come to this time of reflection and this time of invitation I pray that you'll speak to our hearts if we brought pride to this moment God my prayer would be we would drop all that pride And we would come today and humble ourselves before you and let you work in our life. I'm thankful, Father, that really as we read the word, that you have a great plan for every life here. You've got a purpose for every individual. And you want us to fulfill that in your power and your strength. So, Father, I'm thankful for that. And I pray today that we would all today come and say, I want to yield my life to God. I want to humble myself and let him use me in a powerful and mighty way. That's what I, I pray would happen even as we have this invitation, Lord. And so, God, as we come, I pray that you'll speak to hearts. If there's pride out there, Father, Lord, would you convict? And I pray it would be confessed. And, Father, today I pray that what people will find in this moment is a healing with you. If their relationship's broken, that right now, Father, that relationship will be restored as they humble themselves before you this morning. So, Lord, we come to you during this time, God, and ask you to move. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.